Okay, we're back, and we've got Gretchen, a uh, slight glitch. Gretchen, are you there? Okay, so, um, all right. So, how were you treated? You were, you were basically the American public was being fed one narrative. You're in Afghanistan. You're digging through, and you're you've got multiple sources that are clarifying the the trail you're going down, and in, in that this is this is a war on drugs. How were you treated by your peers? Uh, other journalists, you mean? Yeah. Um, I think that, um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really focus on, um, I didn't really talk about it with too many people because I was afraid that somebody else would scoop me. I kept expecting the New York times or someone to do a story on this issue and, and somehow nobody did, but I, um, uh, you know, I had, there was a number of, of reporters in the region who were, you know, doing extremely good work, and I respected them, and I think they respected me. We're all still friends, but I, I, um, I didn't. Uh, so, so I guess I didn't really have any issue uh, with other members of the media. I had pretty good reviews of the book. There was really only a couple of people who. Um, uh, reviews that that were critical of it, and and ironically. Um, they they were critical of the fact that the book uh, did not discuss corruption, as a and the fu- the the funny backstory behind that is that the publishers I actually had a whole chapter on the Karzai family and their involvement in the drug trade and the publishers made me take it out because the Karzais many of them have U.S. citizenship and they were afraid of getting sued, so they took out virtually all references. <laughs> the editors took out virtually uh-huh. all references, or the lawyers I should say took out virtually all references to. Uh, to high-level corruption, um, uh-huh. fearing fearing litigation, uh, I guess they didn't worry that the Taliban were were a litigious bunch. Uh, very interesting. So, what are what are the Karzai connections? Have you have you made those connections? What are the Karzai connections to the upper levels of the U.S. government? Well, um, I, you know, I think Hamid Karzai, by the time he was out of. Uh, out of office was very much out of favor with the U.S. government. He was never particularly favored by the the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. But in the um, Bush years, again, he was he was a had been a CIA asset and was was placed into power by CIA operatives in the in the days after after the Taliban government fell. And um, you know, I spoke to DEA agents who worked in the uh, region uh, as far back as the 80s, and they said that the, the Karzai clan had been smuggling drugs since then. It was always known to be a drug smuggling uh, tribe. And so it was probably not uh, unexpected that when they came into, when his, and when he came into power, his family would take advantage of, of uh, his position as president uh, to ramp up the drug trade again. Mm-hmm. Now, in your research, yeah, I kind of like to go down and, and, and look look through uh, some of the, the, the historical elements uh, of uh, uh, you know of of of, of, of uh, the country and 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 and, and, and uh, really the the powers that that predate 
the United States, and you're, you're basically, of course, we're looking at England, and we're looking at Spain in regards to uh, dominant forces. Stephen Kinzer, if you're familiar with him, he's a former New York Times uh, correspondent, uh, and his book, uh, his most recent book that that he wrote regarding uh, Mark Twain's opposition to Teddy Roosevelt uh, being in, involved uh, being involved in the Spanish American War. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what are some what are some of the elements? Of um, and and I haven't had Al back on the program to kind of go through uh, what he's uh, researched. But what are some of the elements, if any, when you were in Afghanistan, and what are some of the elements of kind of old imperial roots? Of you know we're we're in here from the the Bush administration is saying you know we're we've got troops on the ground in Afghanistan we got troops in in Iraq and the the, the common narrative is terrorism and you're saying no you know we're no 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 we're we're here because uh, people are making a lot of money off of selling opium right and that's becoming very clear. Um, I, I'm just I'm just wondering. A, were you able to sniff out any roots of you know old British empirical um, a, a trade that, that that the U.S. was now dominating, and or w- was there any ever a, any question where you're you're saying, hey, the Russians were here for uh, many 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 years before us? Was there a terror terror narrative that? You know why were the Russians in Afghanistan? Was it was that a terror narrative, or was that strictly you know trying to to, to control some of these uh, these uh, these these drug trading routes? Do you have any um, comments the, on any of that? The the Russians invaded um, Afghanistan uh, to prop up a pro communist um, mm-hmm. regime there, and they and they and they saw Afghanistan as a as a buffer state. Um, to the Soviet bloc um, and the um, and the stands, essentially central Central um, Asia, um, all of which were were uh, you know part of the wider USSR. So uh, that's why the Russians invaded, and and there's very clear um, there's a very clear record that the uh, um, U.S. and the with the Pakistanis. Um, flooded their troops with um with heroin uh and they still have a one of the world's largest um heroin problems in the world in part because uh and and some of it dates back to that war in the 1980s and so um you often hear that from um uh from from the rebels in afghanistan i often used to hear that they'd say it's okay it's okay to sell. It's because Islam pro, Islam prohibits the the traffic and trade um, and commerce in narcotics, but um, the the Afghan fighters will tell you that it's acceptable in times of conflict, especially if you're making addicts of your enemies. <laughs> and so I think that's I think that that's the, the, they were trying to uh, get back at. Um, the U.S. for for precisely the problem um, that we had caused them. So so um, and and you know today the United States has a um, incredibly terrible heroin and opioid problem. Right. So that has succeeded. 
Uh-huh. Right. And and you're you're a con- are you are you still considered um are you still considered an expert on understanding um these 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 trading routes and these uh these tribal uh, the tribal involvement in 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 the in the heroin trade uh, United States Institute of Peace how even profits the Taliban uh, you've um you've spoken to troops before they've gone into in, into Afghanistan you've spoken to the members of the Pentagon are you, are you still currently considered an expert in understanding this um, I still uh, do a fair amount of speaking on this issue. I um, have, you know, delivered a talk recently to the Office of the Director of National Intelligence on the financing of the drug trade in Afghanistan. So I, I still uh, comment on this issue. I don't work on it for the past, uh, I don't work on it full time anymore. Um, for the past four or five years, I've been focused on um, crime syndicates in Africa and fighting the illegal wildlife trade. Uh, so I, but I, st- I still know about it, it but I'm not sure. as up to date on, um, you know, certain commanders get killed or certain traffickers get arrested. And then the shape of the insurgency or the shape of the drug trafficking changes, but certainly the drug routes haven't changed since the, since the days of the Silk Road. There's, there's not that many, passes in and out of Afghanistan at some of the most formidable mountains in the world. Well said. Now, why, in your opinion, why, why, would, why would the Bush administration give, do you think that they truly, their, their intelligence was, was, was on, on point? Do you, do you think that, the, the, that they really felt that there was a, a, a war on terror there in Afghanistan and that that, that, that superseded the, 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 the drug trade? I think the war on terror was something that was very easy to sell to the American public, and I think a, a drug war in Afghanistan would not have been easy to sell to the American public. And they um, didn't want didn't want that to be a problem for them. I mean, I, that's as simply as I can put it. It's uh, um, that's my perspective, looking at it on the outside in. Um, but it would be better to ask one of them why it was that they covered it up. There was certainly there's also a difference between. Um, what's called raw intelligence and finished intelligence. There was a a huge amount of raw intelligence, the actual original, you know, intercepts and sources that were bringing in information to the U.S. government about what was going on. And then the U.S. intelligence community has to process that information and turn it into finished intelligence reports and analysis that then get delivered to senior officials um, um, in products such as the what's known as the PDB, the Presidential Daily Brief that's delivered at the White House every day to the president. Um, so there, there was what I was told by U.S. officials who did believe that the drugs were funding the Taliban is that there had been a decision not to turn any of the raw information that was coming in into a finished intelligence product because they just didn't want it to be to because once it became a finished intelligence product, it becomes incumbent for them to act on it in some form of policy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how so do you- it's very. In fact, I was instructed by the person just to uh, to stop asking if there was intelligence and to ask if there was raw data coming in or any information coming in because if if I used the word intelligence, they could they could um, give a plausible denial, saying I haven't seen any finished intelligence. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, in, in, in your, in your opinion, who would this drug trade, um, most greatly profit? Who's, who's it profiting, profiting? 
Well, it's profiting the drug traffickers mostly. I mean, the mm-hmm. the Taliban is estimated now. Even the even the U.S. government now estimates that the Taliban leadership earns about a half a billion dollars a year off of the opium trade. Um, but the drug tra- the the total value of the drug of the heroin trade globally, of which Afghanistan is about eighty uh, percent. Um, I believe is is somewhere in the neighborhood of of thirty billion dollars, and so you know it's it's a vast amount of money. Um, so c- comparatively, the Taliban probably aren't making all that much, but uh, the drug traffickers that then take those that raw opium, process it, ship it, and and globally distribute it, um, they're they're really raking in the cash. And let me and let me ask you another question: Why why would uh, why why would the U.S. attempt to control that. Why would we have boots and boots on the ground still there? In you know, seventeen years, this is a, this is an ongoing war. Why why does the U.S. military still have troops there? Well, I mean, that's a question. That's a U.S. policy question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the White House sets a policy. Obama tried to end the conflict in Afghanistan, which I personally thought was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I'm not sure if I'd say I think it's winnable, but I certainly think that it w- is possible to stabilize that country better than, than either the Bush or Obama or currently Trump administration has done. Um, but nobody's, nobody's following the money around the, around the conflict uh, and focusing on what's, drive, what's driving the continued fight and why... Um, and who profits from the continued disorder and continued conflict there? There's a number of, of um, small constituencies that are becoming immensely wealthy over the continued uh, conflict in Afghanistan, and they don't want it to end. Well said, Gretchen. Uh, tell us, tell tell listeners a little bit about what you're currently doing. You're you're, you're talking about uh, efforts in Afghan, uh, excuse me, Africa. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. So I have an NGO called the Center on Illicit Networks and Transnational Organized Crime, or CINTOC, C-I-N-T-O-C dot org. And um, we are a strategic intelligence organization that helps our partners find hidden, find and disrupt hidden criminal networks. Uh, we've been working in Africa, mainly sub-Saharan East Africa, but also Central Africa for over the last five years to... Um, identify the trafficking networks that are smuggling ivory, rhino horn, pangolin scales, other wildlife products um, from Africa, mainly to Asia. And um, we've discovered a lot of, uh, you know, interesting players in that game and, and helped and helped governments interdict them. Any, any particular players that you'd like listeners to know about? Well, one of the things that we've been working on the most hard, hardest this year, uh, where we're laser focused right now, um, is on Facebook. Um, the the what, what we found in studying the supply chains that are moving ivory and rhino horn and tiger skins and other illegal wildlife products is that when it reaches the retail sector, the organized crime syndicates in mainly in Asia are um, creating. Um, closed and secret groups on social media. Um, There's a vast amount of it on Facebook. Um, There's also Chinese um, platforms that are sort of like Facebook called WeChat and Weibo um, that are also just rampant with closed and secret groups with wildlife for sale. Uh, And these platforms are providing uh, a free, anonymous, uh, global 
sort of forum where buyers and sellers can connect with each other. They can see pictures of the goods. They can communicate with each other, whether it's over WhatsApp, which is also owned by Facebook, or uh, they can they can make payments, uh, or they can coordinate with each other how to make payments. Um, and it's just a... Um, it's my opinion that these big companies um, are literally facilitating the extinction of the elephant. My goodness. Uh, are, will you be writing a book about this? Um, I don't know if we'll be writing a book about it. We filed a complaint about it um, through, or not we, we did an analytics for a number of whistleblowers who came forward with um, uh, with information about this problem. Um, and so we're part of a coalition that's fi- filed a complaint with the Securities and Exchange Commission um, to demand um, that um, uh, Facebook and other publicly listed firms, and WeChat and Weibo, even though they're Chinese firms, are actually publicly listed in the United States, so they could also be regulated by our government. Um, so we're demand- trying to uh, force the U- try to get the U.S. government to force these platforms to. Uh, shut down these online shops of horror, uh, and also to um, find these organizations, if, the, if these platforms, if they, uh, for for their failure to establish control over this over this issue, um, Zuckerberg has been was asked about this issue when he yeah. was testifying in Congress okay. and admitted that he knew it was a problem, but but they had done very, they had done nothing really about it. Well, they're 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 I assume they're taking a percentage off of each sale. Well, um, they're not taking. I don't know if they're taking a percentage off each sale, but they're advertising. Um, they they make money by um, advertising to oh, their uh, to their members, and so if people are flocking to their site in order to see illegal ivory uh, or illegal mm-hmm. rhino horn, um, Facebook is indirectly making money because they're showing those people ads for commercial products. Um, and the other issue is that. Um, that that we ra- that was raised by the whistleblower center in the complaint is that um, so major advertisers like Apple and Nike and Adidas uh, their ads are running next to these horrifying pictures of you know dead baby bears and you know tiger skins and that's you know if advertisers start pulling out because they're horrified by this criminal yeah. activity that's going to be that's investors then take a hit. And, and what we've what has happened to Facebook, even just recently, they've taken a huge hit on the stock market, um, as as investors, or, sorry, as both investors and um, advertisers have started to really worry about their lack of control over what's going on in, on their platform. Wow, you're onto some heavy stuff here yet again. Hard, very hard hitting. <laughs> yeah. Gretchen, well done. It's might, it might seem like a strange way to try and save elephants, but when we started looking at uh, how the um, ivory moved from the fields of Africa, from the mm-hmm. from the you know savannas of Africa to um, the you know trinkets that that people are wearing on right, their wrists right. or around their necks, um, social media played a surprisingly large role and. There's a lot of organizations, um, and many of them doing very good work. There's a lot of organizations that are trying to save elephants by trying to arrest poachers one at a time and putting out, you know, putting those millions and millions of dollars being put into um, parks across Africa to fight poaching at the individual level. And there's a number of NGOs in Asia that are trying to go after the 
the, the places, the retail market, and again, going after each and every trade. And so we decided we would do something that was more strategic. Let's try and shut down this entire marketplace. It's, I'm not suggesting for a second that they won't find another way to connect, um, but it's, we can at least knock this off course and we can give the animals a bit more breathing space. Uh, and that's the best you can do. Over time, the only way to save these species from extinction is going to be demand reduction. But that, that will take time. And um, we need to do everything we can to try and shut down these marketplaces for um, these endangered animal products. Wow. Incred- absolutely incredible, Gretchen. Um, just out of curiosity, let me just throw something out at you to get your opinion. Uh, what, what's, your, what's your view of the, 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 the political landscape in the United States right now? Well, what's your, what's your, what's your view? <laughs> I, I know we went from, from, from animals and, and kind of segueing back into the drugs, but what's your, what's your, what's your view? And, and, and do, you have, uh, do, you, do you have any counsel that you would give to listeners on how to best? There's so many different uh, battles to pick. Um, and certainly the political landscape is, is a, is a, is a, is a, 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 a fire. Um, but what's your opinion as, as an American, what, how to best proceed? Well, I think there is, as a, as a former journalist or a recovering journalist, as I like to say, I think there's, um, there's a lot of fire against the media uh, these days. And I think a lot of journalists are doing very, very good work um, reporting uh, the truth in a very difficult uh, time for, for um, uh, and taking a lot of risks to get information out. And um, I think we ought to have more respect for our media than um, we're hearing about in a lot of certain circles. I also, um, the other thing that I think troubles me more than any, almost more than anything else these days is um, the extent uh, that we're seeing of environmental um, deterioration around the globe, yeah. the, the um, right. incredible soaring temperatures this year, these massive fires that are breaking out all over the world, not just uh, not just places like California and Colorado. I mean, there are massive fires that have killed hundreds uh, and thousands of people in India, Nigeria, South Africa, where these are global issues. The floods are a, glo- a global trend now that and uh, um, I think we are ignoring this message largely ignoring this message that mother nature is sending us and I'm very worried about uh, the implications for that and I wouldn't say I think um, either side of the political spectrum in the United States is is um, uh, doing enough about that yeah yeah I'm kind of disgusted with both parties to be honest so I you know I think we really need to be more responsible. We, we tr- we're acting like we have another planet to move to. Right, 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 right. Well, well that's, that's where we stand uh, uh, here on, on Winwood Radio. We, 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 we totally, we don't take one side or the other. We, we just, we just, we just want to hear both sides, and, and that's, that's where we're at. Uh, um, Gretchen, thank you for taking your time to join us today. Um, what are some final, final thoughts that, uh, that you'd like to leave us with? Well, um, if anyone's interested in, in uh, what we've been doing or, or uh, the, the, our campaign to push wildlife off of uh, social media, please come visit our website at cintoc.org. Um, 
if you like what we're doing, send us a donation. We need all the help we can get. We're always driving on fumes for these projects, and we're going up against multi-billion dollar companies that I don't think really care about the little person, not to mention elephants and rhinos. And um, so um, we we believe in, in uh, continuing to investigate uh, and get the truth out about um, um, about what's really going on. Well said. Ladies and gentlemen, Gretchen Peters. Gretchen, have a great day. Thanks again for joining us. Okay, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you, Ian. Gretchen Peters, how drugs, thugs, and crime are reshaping the Afghan war. And we heard it from her, her current project is investigating illegal trade of ivory, a continuing issue that plagues a very precious member of the animal kingdom. Not to get too this or that way. We want to concentrate on one thing, and we try to keep it as simple as possible. And that is why I come to this microphone on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at 5 o'clock, and that is to give you, the people that are taking your time out of your day to listen to what I have to say, and most importantly, to listen to what the guests on this program have to say. They're typically extremely well-credentialed, very well-accomplished, and they're putting their name and their energy and resources out on the line to speak out against some very powerful organizations. That is the typical theme of the person that joins discussions of truth on Winwood Radio. And again, I thank you for taking your time to listen. I will be right back with some closing thoughts just after this. <laughs> 